You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be together. Thank you for joining us this morning. This talk is really short, and it's really beautiful, though, okay? Um, And so... We tell the team, the musicians, they should just keep it down to one cigarette in the back, and then I'm going to call them in. <laughs> Otherwise, they, um, they'll be late getting back in here, because that's what band people do. Um, I want to talk to you about living true to your divine DNA, okay? Living true to your divine DNA in The Gospel of uh, John, chapter 8. Jesus, over the course of that chapter, says some amazing things. In John, chapter 8, verse 12, he he says to himself, he says about himself, I am the light of the world. And then he says that if you follow me, you will have the light of life. And then in verse 19, he goes on to say that if you knew me, you would have at the exact same time known my Father in heaven. I'm the light of the world. You can have the light of life. And if you have seen me and known me, then you have known the Father at the same time. You see, uh, Light is a metaphor for many things. It's a metaphor for truth. It's a metaphor for guidance. But I submit to you in this passage that the light of the world, which is Jesus, came to introduce us to a God of love. Who then, in the three years of his ministry, demonstrated to us what the love of God looks like. Okay? The light of the world came to introduce us to a God of love and then demonstrate us what the love of God looks like. If Jesus is the face of God, and he has always been the face of God, God has always looked like Jesus. You read through the Old Testament, if Jesus is the face of God, then our God is a compassionate God, and the God that we worship is a generous God. He's compassionate and he's generous. And that's really good news. Do you know why? Because the scripture tells us that you and I are created in the image of God. That means that your very core, you, you, do, you, you are the truest version of you when you're walking in compassion and generosity with each other. That's when you're at your best. That's when you're at your truest. That's the plumb line right there. I love how Jesus describes um, what our capacity is as it relates to one another in Matthew chapter 5. Now I'm reading uh, this the, on the screen. is from the message, the version, the message. I don't usually use it, but it was just so beautiful that I decided to go with this one. This is what Jesus says. He says about you and me, you are here to be light, bringing out God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. 
And if I make you light bearers, then you don't think I'm going to hide you under a basket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. And by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love that. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to be open with this generous Father of ours, our Heavenly Father. You see, you show me somebody that is living a life that's generous and inspiring and influential, and I'll show you somebody that has discovered what it means to walk in the freedom of God's love and the freedom of that love. I think sometimes we, we, we just live too apologetically, especially as Canadians. We apologize for everything. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you. Sorry. But we apologize for who we are and how we are, don't we? We, we were so timid in the way we put our personalities out there, the way we put our quirkiness out there, the way we put our creativity out there. We, we, we apologize first. But when I read this passage in Matthew chapter 5, I see, I see Jesus encouraging us, let, put it out there for people and let God love through all of it. Let him love through all of it. So this morning I want to give you a couple of pictures how God uses people to introduce God colors into the world. To introduce God colors into the world. I think too often we underestimate the power of a kind word. A well-timed, sincere compliment. I think we underestimate a small act of caring. Because we think, well, it didn't cost me that much. It wasn't that big a deal. You know, you know what? It wasn't hard for me to do that. But the truth is that your word of kindness and concern to a hungry heart comes to that heart in full volume. Because you don't determine the volume of your words of kindness. They're determined by the one who needs them. And there are times that you come into somebody's life and you simply affirm them in something. You have no idea how malnourished their soul is. And when that word of affirmation comes, it just fills them. And 2014, I read a book, uh, an autobiography called Tattoos of the Heart. And it is written by a Franciscan priest by the name of Greg Boyle. Greg Boyle um, graduated from seminary and the Catholic Church assigned him to the most dangerous neighborhood in North America, the most dangerous neighborhood for sure in the United States. He went, he went from studying philosophy and studying theology and sipping Starbucks in the comfort of a Catholic seminary where ideas and philosophy and theology are easy to talk about, to a place where violence and poverty 
saturate absolutely everything. They sent him to the projects. He, he, he felt so far out of his depths. He looked at the thing they called a church. It was dilapidated. It was, it was graffiti covered. There were no windows. The thing had just been torn down and left for rot. He walked around shell-shocked for almost a year. His church is right in the middle of, uh, um, of the projects, surrounded by 40 warring gangs, thousands of homies, thousands of gang members who kill each other every single day in his neighborhood. Every single day. And he needed to figure out how Jesus wanted him to serve the needs of these people because their needs are so enormous. He needed to figure out how to take all of his theology and all of his philosophy and make it relevant for this community that he had found himself in. And the one thing that he discovered out very quickly was that one thing every person in the projects had in common was they all wanted out. They, 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 they were living in the system because it was the only way they could survive, but they all wanted out. And so he, he did a couple of things. You know what? He, he realized that he was not going to be just a priest, but he was a social worker. He was a teacher. He was a counselor. He was a carpenter. He was all these things. And, and, and he began to repair this tiny little school that was attached to the church. And he began to find money for teachers to come and to work and help these from the little ones up. And then he started a, 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 an organization called Homeboy Industries. Homeboy Industries. And began to connect gang members who wanted to get out of the project to construction, to all kinds of trades and all kinds of work opportunities. And he was just like, for instance, one of the first things that he did was that he realized that gang members, when they want to leave the gangs, they have to get their tattoos removed. And so he went and bought a machine that removes tattoos. And they became so good at removing tattoos there, right in the middle of the projects, that NBA players would line up to get their tattoos removed there because they removed so many tattoos and they were so good at it. And then they had other people putting tattoos on and they were so good at it that people came from everywhere. And little by little began to give work to people. After being in the projects for over 30 years, actually almost 40, today Homeboy Industries employs over 4,000 people. And they're getting out of the projects. If they want out, now they have a way to get out. Greg spends half of his time in prisons looking after people who've been incarcerated from his community. And the one thing about this man is that he is sacred. He is sacred to the community. He's the only human being that could walk day or night, anytime, anywhere in that neighborhood and not be shot. Because he's the only one that brings them hope. And they know that. And Greg was, he lives in the projects himself and he talked about how one day he was walking to his office and he was deep in thought. And every day that he walks to work, there's this 40-year-old by the name of Junior that kind of hangs out of his kitchen window onto the fire escape. Nobody knows what Junior does. Pretty much just drinks all day. And uh, he 
walked by and this rarely happens, but he, he didn't say hello. He didn't acknowledge him. And then Greg walks around the corner when all of a sudden he hears Junior screaming at the top of his voice, love you, G-Dog. And it just caught him. And he comes back around the corner. He goes, Junior, thank you. What a nice thing to say. To which Junior replies, oh, come on, G. You know you are in my jurisdiction. You're in my jurisdiction. That's my gang thing. Jurisdiction. I know I'm really white. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't even pull it off. I'm so white. And, um, and uh, you're in my jurisdiction. And I was thinking about that. Who's in your jurisdiction? Who's in your jurisdiction? And if you don't show up one day, will they miss you? And do the people in your jurisdiction, what do they know about you? Do they know that you do you? And then when you're finished doing you, if you have some time for others, well, so be it. If not, you just go home. What would they say about you? How do you land on the people in your jurisdiction? What would they say about you? How invested are you in your jurisdiction? In your jurisdiction is your, is your, your neighbors, is the people you work with, the people you go to school with. I don't care how small the circle is or how big it is, but how do you land on them? What would they say about you? One afternoon, uh, Greg or G-Dog is talking to his secretary and they're trying to get some work done. And their offices are to, like they, they took over old buildings. And so there's nothing nice and fresh and airy about any of the work that they're doing there. But it's all functional. And he's talking to the secretary when someone taps him on the shoulder. And he turns around and there's this big kid named Looney. Last name Tooney. Looney, Looney, he, he just got back from six months in juvenile probation camp. And like so many others, Greg's office is their first stop when they're coming back into the neighborhood. And Greg turns around. He's so excited to see Looney. And Looney gives him this big bear hug. And the secretary gives him the big hug. And pretty soon the old staff are lined up to greet Looney back from prison. And at some point in time, someone screamed out, let's kill the fattened pepperoni. They ordered five huge pizzas and they ate together. And Looney is sitting there in his giddy awkwardness. Just so, because he can't believe how happy they are to see him. And he's measuring every person to see, you know, how much they appreciate him. He didn't expect this. And when the pizzas are just about done and everybody goes back to work, he says to Greg, hey, can I talk to you in private? By the way, Jesus did the same thing. That's how he welcomed people home. He'd eat with them. He'd eat with them. It's, it, it's a way of saying, I'm with you, you're with me. You're not detestable, you're acceptable. Let's have a meal together. Pizza's all around, Looney's home. 
And Looney pulls Greg aside and to another office and then he's digging into his pocket and he pulls out this envelope and, 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 and he says to Greg, here, read it. These are my grades from camp. When he sits down, he sits up tall and he goes, check it out, G-Dog. Straight A's. So Greg opens the transcript up and sure enough, there it is. Two C's, two B's, and an A. <laughs> He's thinking, not the straightest A's I've ever seen, but pretty good. And he looks at Looney and he says, dude, if you were my son, I'd be the proudest man alive, seriously. And at these words, the boy sobs like a child. He weeps like a child because his whole world has told him he's detestable. His whole world has told him that he's shameful. And G-Dog has deemed him loved and precious. It is the very thing that his soul longs to hear more than anything else. And that is true for every human being in your jurisdiction. Do you have words or a way to communicate that to them? Because I submit to you the light of the world came into the world to introduce us to the love of the world. And the light of the world is belonging. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. Mother Teresa said every single time you let God love others through you, it's Christmas. Every single time you smile at your brother, it is Christmas every time you offer him or her a hand. It's Christmas. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I want to share with you my favorite Christmas story. I love this Christmas story. I, I shared it in 2008. I shared it in 2014. And I'm going to share it with you today because I love you way more than I did people in 2017. It's my favorite Christmas story. And I think that this story is so meaningful to me because it begins in the middle of World War II. It begins in the middle of War II in Europe. And my parents were displaced from their loved ones because of the Second World War. They know what it's like to be lost and be torn apart. And my parents were reunited in this country after the Second World War. And so here's, here's the story, okay? By the way, somebody played music last time. Oh, it was so effective. Like I, I got, I had tingles. Um, that means it's anointed. Um, if you get tingles, okay. Okay, here we go. Um, a brand new pastor and his wife arrived in early October to reopen a church in suburban Brooklyn. When they saw the church that they were coming to had been run down and needed so much work, they set a goal to have everything done by Christmas Eve. Their first service was going to be their Christmas Eve service. And they worked hard. They repaired pews. They plastered walls. They fixed plumbing and electricity. 
And on December 18th, they were ahead of schedule. On December 19th, a huge rainstorm hit the area. It lasted two days. And on the 21st, the pastor went over to the church and his heart sank when he saw that the roof had leaked. And it caused a large piece of plaster to fall about 20 feet by eight feet right off the front of the church, right behind the pulpit. He didn't know what to do. He cleaned up the floor. He cleaned up the mess and feared that they would now have to cancel their Christmas Eve service. He headed home. But on his way home, he noticed there was a local business having a flea market type sale for charity. So he stopped in. One of the items was a beautiful, handmade, ivory-colored crochet tablecloth with exquisite work and a cross embroidered right in the center. It was just the size to cover up the hole in the front wall. And he bought it. And he quickly headed back to the church. By this time, it had started to snow. As he was coming to the front door of the church, he saw an older woman running for the bus. And she missed it. So the pastor invited her to come and wait in the warm church for the next bus, which was 45 minutes later. She sat in a pew and paid no attention to the pastors. He got ladders and hangers and, and to put up the tablecloth as a wall tapestry. He couldn't believe it, he, how beautiful it looked. And it covered the entire problem area. And then he noticed the woman walking down the center aisle. Her face was as white as a sheet. Pastor, she said, where did you get the tablecloth? The pastor explained. The woman asked him to check the lower right corner to see if the initials E-B-G were crocheted into it there. They were. These were her initials. She had made this tablecloth 35 years ago in Austria. The woman explained that before the war, her and her husband were well-to-do people in Austria. When the Nazis came, she was forced to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week, but she was captured and sent to prison, and she's never seen her husband again. And the pastor wanted to give her the, the tablecloth, but she insisted, leave it in the church. We'll give it to the church. He said, there must be something I can do to say thank you. She lived on the other side of Staten Island, so he offered her a drive to her apartment. On Christmas Eve, they had a wonderful service. The church was almost full. The music and the spirit were beautiful. At the end of the service, the pastor and his wife greeted everyone at the door and they said they were so happy the church was open. Many promised to return. One older man who the pastor recognized from the neighborhood, he, he just sat in the pew and just sat in the pew and stared at the front of the church. The pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. Finally, when no one else was around, he asked the man where he got the tablecloth. At the front, because it was identical to one that his wife had made many years ago when they lived in Australia, Austria. 
He said, before the war, we were well off. My wife made a tablecloth just like there. Could there be two tablecloths that look so much alike? And then the Nazis came. He forced his wife to flee for her safety. He was supposed to follow, but he was arrested and he was put in prison and has never seen his home or his wife for 35 years in between. And the pastor asked him if you'd allow him to take him for a little ride. They drove to Staten Island to the same house where the pastor had taken the woman three days earlier. He helped the man climb the flights of stairs to the woman's apartment. He knocked on the door and saw the greatest Christmas reunion he could have ever imagined. Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. What I want you to see is that Greg Boyle did not have to reach deep to tell Looney that he was proud of him. The pastor did not have to reach deep to let the woman warm up in the church. It was not hard for him to drive the man to the woman, to her apartment. But every one of these acts released God colors into their world in a way that they could never imagine. These were all simple little acts. They weren't loud, but they were received with great volume, with great joy, with great hope, with great excitement. Because the volume's always determined by the level of need of the receiver. And maybe that's why Jesus said, so let your shine, let your light shine before men and women. So when they see your kindness, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to show us love. Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to those in our jurisdiction. And how can we express love to them? For those that are in this place today, Jesus, that, that just need to know that they are loved by you, I pray that they would sense your spirit just enveloping them. And for those in this place, and you, you, you know, you, you've heard about Jesus and you've talked about Jesus, but See, every one of us in that call ourselves Christ followers, we're, 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 we're reflections of love, but we suck at it. If you want the full expression of his love, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. We're going to sing one more song and Chad's going to come up and Close in prayer, and if you want prayer, uh, our prayer team people are here, and they're beautiful in this ministry and this grace of prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening to audio from the house. 
For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.